Welcome to episode 102 of the Search with Candle podcast, recorded on Friday the 12th of March 2021. My name is Mark Williams-Cook and today I'm going to be joined by Daniel Foley-Carter from Assertive. Daniel is a really experienced SEO that's quite popular on LinkedIn and the perfect person to talk to us about the dangers of learning SEO from social media. So when you see those big mic drop posts on places like LinkedIn saying this technique works, this doesn't, what do you need to be careful about and where can you go as a business to get good SEO advice online? Before we kick off, I want to let you know this podcast is very kindly sponsored by Sightbulb. I'm going to talk about Sightbulb as if you haven't heard it because I really hope you have. Sightbulb is an SEO auditing tool, runs on desktop on Mac or Windows. I've been using it for a few years now and we use it in our agency at Canda for all kinds of technical SEO projects and it's absolutely brilliant. I'm always surprised when people haven't heard of it because it's my first port of call genuinely even before I speak to a client to run them through Sightbulb. You've probably all used various SEO tools and crawlers before. In my opinion, what sets Sightbulb apart, apart from a lot of the kind of pre-checks it does when you start up um, this tool is actually the depth it goes into in the context of the issues and explaining them. That means rather than just have a crawl with a load of data, Sightbulb really goes the extra mile with identifying the issues, giving you clear explanations of what they are, how generally you would approach fixing them, and even prioritizing them, or at least giving you a first step in terms of SEO, at least how you'd prioritize them. So obviously your job as SEOs is to tie in the rest of the business there and work out kind of where those uh, those priorities might fit in in the bigger picture. But Sitebulb, in my opinion, is one of the best places to start with this. They've got a special deal for Search with Canda listeners. If you go to sitebulb.com forward slash SWC, that's sitebulb.com forward slash SWC, you can get a 60-day extended trial with them for free, no credit card or anything required, so do give it a go. And as I said, today we are joined by Daniel Foley-Cart, who is director at Assertive. He has 21 years plus SEO experience. He's worked for some of the largest UK agencies, delivering SEO for the likes of Sky, Virgin Holidays, Qantas. He's run an agency himself for 13 years and in the last two years has been an independent SEO consultant also. I know him mainly through LinkedIn. I've seen some excellent SEO posts by him, some equally entertaining SEO uh, rants. Uh, It's clear to me. Um, He knows what he's doing. I've seen him challenge bad advice. And I'm really pleased and excited to have him on this episode with us. So, Daniel, welcome. Hi. Nice to to, uh, thank you for inviting me onto the podcast. Really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. It was, um, again, this is one of those episodes as I did with Andrew Cox Starkney a few months ago, which is very much off the bat. So um, I'm in a in, uh, one of my marketing Slack groups has got Daniel in and I was looking through 
the kind of SEO news for this week. And some stuff has happened, but it's really, you know, I'd be waffling if I tried to make a whole episode out of it. And I, you know, I'm always very against that. And there was a suggestion that maybe I should talk to uh, Daniel on the podcast, because as you know, many of you who have kind of seen, I guess, how I use LinkedIn from an SEO social point of view is I've always been an advocate of uh, challenging what I perceive to be potentially damaging advice. And I've seen um, Daniel certainly do the same as well. Um, and I think we agree on on most things, right? We, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it's fair to say. We had uh, we certainly we we certainly had an interesting conversation before this episode. We we had a we were meant to have a couple of minutes just to chat about what topics we might like to talk about, and it instantly spiraled into a fifteen minute um, debate about bounce rates. So I'm going to try and shield you maybe from that during this episode, and I've got a few topics I'd like to talk um, to Daniel about. And before I kick off, I, I I think just to frame all of this through my personal experience with the SEO community, with people that are interested in SEO. Um, personally, I use Twitter a lot, as many of you know, and LinkedIn. Dan, do you use Twitter? I don't think I've really seen you on there. So I used to use it uh, a couple of years ago, but I think I sort of just tried to uh, focus on owning one platform. I felt with Twitter um, that the 150 character limit at the time just meant that I couldn't really push out the creative thoughts that I had. And even though I know that Twitter's now obviously extended that, I never really got back into it. I, I always maintain that I think LinkedIn was a good place to be primarily because a lot of the people that are, uh, you know, own businesses or in charge of marketing or decision makers are generally on LinkedIn and more likely, you know, to catch a more detailed view of the, you know, opinions that I have to share. So I just primarily sort of try to own LinkedIn as a channel. I do have Facebook as well. Not so hot on that. But I think with Twitter, I have actually recently set up a profile. And I was considering, again, just sort of stringing out useful tips and tricks whenever I could, just so I do have a better sort of market coverage. I think it's really interesting. It echoes the experience I've had, which for, for me... I obviously started doing kind of the whole unsolicited SEO tips on LinkedIn, but I don't do them on on Twitter. And my experience has been a lot of the professional community, for whatever reason, has chosen Twitter as its home. And it seems fairly well, apart from um, it can obviously get a little bit, I'm just going to say toxic every now and again. It seems fairly good at self-policing itself in terms of people will challenge each other and talk about ideas. And generally, you get a fairly sensible outcome. When I was a little bit more active on LinkedIn, I was a little bit aghast sometimes at the information I saw posted there about SEO that was getting, um, you know, rightly or wrongly because it was getting engagement but engagement doesn't necessarily mean something is correct which we've all learned about I guess with this whole conversation around uh, fake news so I think that's why I started these tips which was I originally started sort of trying to challenge these people and then I found that there was essentially as soon as you cut one head off there was two more um, kind of things to face I was like this isn't a good use of time so my approach was okay well I'm just going to start putting out what I think is good advice every day and see where that goes so what do you think are the challenges that companies face when they're trying to get SEO knowledge from a platform like LinkedIn so I think that this actually applies further than LinkedIn if we look at LinkedIn as just one 
social platform where you know people interact and can share information. I think the problem as a whole with the industry is is that the lack of there being uh, an educational standard means that everyone learning SEO can have their own view or opinion on something. So if someone decides that in their SEO career that they're going to take a certain path with how they learn, maybe they'll you know they'll read blogs, they'll they'll watch videos because there isn't an industry standard or regulation on any of the information people can absorb what they read and then they can regurgitate that even if they don't have anything to back what they're saying so they you know a lot of cases people just want to be helpful so they'll share tips that they think you know are valid um you get some people that obviously want attention so they'll try and share something that might be a little bit more um should say controversial but the biggest problem is is that if someone says something and they're arbitrary in how they say it and if they've got following and people you know willing to learn from them that's when it becomes a problem because if people absorb bad information or information that isn't justified and that's carried and spread um, it just makes it more difficult for people genuinely looking for genuine information to actually get that Um, and I think this problem has been compounding, especially since COVID has fueled such a demand for SEO. Now, more than ever, uh, with people relearning, people want to, you know, uh, evolve their career. SEO is is one of those places that, you know, is a growth industry. So now people are really keen to learn. People are really keen to uptake and absorb as much information as they can. LinkedIn is just one of those places where I've seen it and I think you've seen it on many occasions where we see people making posts. They're not uh, justified in any way. And, you know, with the way and context that they put it can actually be damaging to people. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. I like that. Um, I, one of the things I like about SEO is that um, a lot of the things that I think we talk about that are, that are concepts are difficult to prove as kind of facts you know and i think that leads into a very long discussion which i think is probably best shelved for another time around kind of regulation and industry standards and who would decide kind of what what is correct there and i I think you know you'll agree that that conversation and challenging each other is really good and healthy within the seo community you know there should exist that debate between i've observed this and i think this and i think it might work like this and I think the danger comes when rather than approaching it that way, like you say, when people package it up, especially in cases to make it more controversial, they'll just make a statement about something and present it as fact rather than, you know, rather than say, well, actually, I think it works like this because of this. And then have that discussion just saying you can do this and you and you will rank. Yeah, yeah, 100 percent. On on industry kind of standard regulation, I'll dip my toe into that while we're talking about LinkedIn because it's it's tried to get me to do like an SEO exam before. What are your thoughts on 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 those kind of those attempts? Um, well, I think I think it's it's a it's a very grey area because in terms of having an industry standard, it would be very hard to cr- create the standard and then for it to be policed um, because, as we know. It's very easy for anyone to label themselves. You know, you can go on the internet and and get a certificate to say that, you know, you've gone through a Google ad certification. So 
there is the fact of actually having something to separate. Like anyone training or studying in the law, in law, you know, in the UK will have to study to the bar society or the bar standard um, because there isn't really any of that in the SEO industry. Um, I think people are, uh, you know, have to make a real decision about whether or not an SEO is or an agency or consultant is good based upon them being able to prove that concept. In terms of exams and, and things like that, um, I think that, it, you know, I think that if there was like a central point, um, especially from Google's side, even because Google advocate SEO, as we know from some of the posts that they've put out, um, for people to actually be able to go in and prove that they've gone for this certification, one thing that they could do is Google could, or, or another authoritative body could actually have a directory of people that are known and recorded to have gone through and done all uh, the practicing. And even on a interval to, to go on a refresher, because as you and I know, over time, you know, certain things might change. And the SEO industry is not just about training to a standard, it's also being able to keep up to speed. So do enough SEOs maintain their own knowledge or do they get so caught up in just looking after projects that they don't keep an eye on what's changing yeah absolutely so with with this situation as it is without that kind of regulation or certification that's universally agreed on what advice would you give business owners who need seo about how they should go about educating themselves and and picking a partner because like like you, I know you get leads like I do through LinkedIn, right? And that's just based on people seeing I've written stuff about SEO and they've come to the conclusion, hey, well, Mark sounds like he knows or Dan sounds sounds like he knows what I'm talking about. So I'll message him in and, you know, and ask to do to SEO. And I imagine the people like we say who in who in our opinion maybe aren't giving what we think is you know, necessarily good SEO advice, I'm sure they're getting those people as well. So, you know, these business owners won't have time to like run their own tests and, you know, they're probably not that interested in SEO. So what advice would you give them to how they can, you know, dodge these bullets and maybe find people that are going to be helpful for them? So I think given that most businesses need SEO, so it's not even isolated, it's now spread across pretty much every industry. The fact is, is that because SEO is such a fundamental part of any business's growth, generation of leads, generation of product sales, because it's so intrinsic to a business, there has to be internal protocol, despite even if the people that are making the decisions are, are very busy or there has to be a lot more due diligence in, in picking someone. Now, if someone doesn't understand SEO, it's a dangerous place to let them make the decision about who should execute it. Because as we all know, it's very easy for an agency or a consultant or someone practicing SEO to create a proposal, put complex words in that they don't understand, put all these snapshots in, and people make their decision because they think, well, this, this looks really complex. These people must know what they're doing. Not realizing that actually, you know, they might very well not be qualified to do it. The information might not be correct. So the decision-making process for any business in selecting an SEO is extremely difficult because it relies on that decision-maker to have some fundamental understanding. So some of the things that I would always ask, or, you know, if I was in a you know position where I needed a business to uh, come in and, and deliver SEO, um, it would be to ask whoever was going to do SEO, you know, for some case studies. Um, I would always go and speak to some of the clients 
that the consultant or the agency was doing work for. And I want that to be, you know, verifiable. And I would probably not settle for anything less than three to five clients. So, you know, they need to understand what work was delivered, what was the budget scope, um, you know, to make sure that there's not an unrealistic gap. Um, and then and then just to look at other, you know, other reputational factors. So generally, you know, if someone is really passionate about SEO, they'll have some form of standing. I'm not saying that that's mandatory, but generally, if people really love SEO, they'll be posting on social media. You know, they'll be making an own concerted effort on their site. You know, if you find an SEO agency that makes no real effort on its own SEO and doesn't have, you know, good reviews or good standing, those can be warning factors. I mean, it's not arbitrary, but general consensus. So first point of call would always be uh, speaking and getting references like you would with employment, you know, checking and vetting these people. I think that's a really interesting point because in terms of clients I know that have come to us, I can see from our analytics that lots of people look at the case studies we provide. And I've always been on a little bit on the fence about case studies because everyone obviously puts their, you know, their best results forward. And, you know, it gives the agency an opportunity to sort of cherry pick what they're looking at, um, you know, which happens to, to various extents. And everyone, I think, is aware of that. It's kind of a buyer beware. But probably only one in 20 times, I would say, do I get a client actively asked to speak to our existing clients. Now, I'm sure some maybe kind of try and sniff them out and approach them themselves, but it's actually quite rare that I've had clients and it, it actually happened. I think I spoke about it a couple of weeks ago. We had a client say, well, we'd like a conversation with three of your current clients. Um, you know, and that happened and the clients phoned me and said, oh, they, you know, they, they contacted me, which was great. I do think that's excellent advice. So if you are looking for, you know, an SEO agency or freelancer, I think definitely speaking to a range of their clients is helpful. And as, as Daniel said there as well, like more than one or two, because everyone's got one or two kind of friends that they've helped that will, yeah. will always say nice things. So if you can pick or, or suggest who you speak to, that can be sometimes a good approach. Yeah. And it's also important to remember as well that, you know, um, if you're going through the due diligence phase, you need to actually look at the scope of the business that you're given as a reference as well. You know, if you're if you're getting given a mobile number and a Gmail address, you know, that's not necessarily uh, something that I would be overly comfortable with. You know, I'd always want, if I was given a business, I'd want to see the domain, an email on the domain, a proper, you know, dial in that, you know, just, just little things. It's very, very important because, Again, you know, the SEO landscape now is so horrifically competitive. As soon as, I mean, the agency landscape was booming, you know, in the late 2000s. And, you know, again, since COVID, it's absolutely exploded. There are agencies popping up every five minutes now, you know, and everyone does the usual showcasing. So it's very, very difficult for business owners to differentiate. You know, if an agency looks like it's got a nice website, flashy, you know, things on the site, you know, that can actually detract from does the agency genuinely have that true internal expertise? Are there people in that business that are seasoned, professional, know what they're doing, know how to deal with an account? And unfortunately, you know, I, I, I find that in this industry, the cases is that good SEOs are very hard to find. So if that's the model and there's a thousand, 10,000 agencies out there, then you can bet that a you know, a good portion of them 
probably not going to have the level of expertise that a lot of businesses genuinely do need. The other piece of advice before we move on, I think, for business owners is normally there will be, um, when we're outside of COVID, a local kind of normally SEO meetup you can attend. So we set one up here in Norwich. Um, and the, the goal of that was essentially to allow businesses to educate themselves about SEO in a non-sales environment. So, you know, we had a couple of speakers come on from, you know, all over the country, um, had some some really great SEOs. And they'd do a short talk explaining either case studies or certain tactics they were using or strategic level talks. And it at least arms, as you say, the businesses with some base level of knowledge that they know what questions to ask and what answers they should be expecting. Previously, we've we've on this podcast, we had Natalie Mott on almost 50 episodes ago. It was episode 52. We covered uh, popular or common, I shouldn't say popular SEO myths and misconceptions. And we talked about all the kind of things that keep cropping up about, you know, meta keywords or will I rank higher in Google if I pay for ads, that kind of thing. Are there any particular kind of damaging myths that you see um, on LinkedIn a lot that you see repeatedly shared and repeatedly kind of applauded that make you think, oh no, you know, this this isn't the right way to be going? Well, I think my answers to this could could go so far that the podcast would go far beyond any recording scope. In terms of SEO myths out there, I, I wouldn't even know where to begin to start, the amount of myths that I see. And when I talk about myths, you know, I'm not talking about things that are just factually incorrect. Um, I think the problem is, as well, is is um, perception. So I, I, what I try and do is break it down really simply, right? So I could conduct a study on a keyword for a website and I could test factors, okay? Someone repeating that, exact same test on a different keyword could, could get a completely different outcome, like completely. So if we talk about that, you know, I could provide examples of sites that I've ranked with no link building, zero link building. So on that consensus alone, I could turn around with a very narrow view and say, do you know what? Links don't matter. You know, it's all a myth that link building is king. But then I could do it the other way around in another industry that is far more reliant on link building do all of the on-page SEO, the core web vitals, schema, all of the other things and get nothing without links. So if there was a myth in its totality, it would be that there is an algorithm per se. Uh, when I say that, what I mean is a single algorithm. So this thing that people, when they talk about it, they talk about Google algorithm, like it's this set set of rules that is applied to every site. Now, I would say that that is a myth because we know it. There's hundreds of interconnecting ranking factors applied in all different proportions in a way that we could never intrinsically piece together. All we can ever hope to do is test and find what works for our objectives. Um, so, in you know, because I, I always see when people talk about myths, you know, they'll they'll make statements like keywords don't matter, you know, or you should, you know, put your keywords in your, in your, you know, in your, in your alt text. Um, when we talk about a myth, um, I guess, you know, it, it goes across the usual things. So, you know, it, you don't need to have your, uh, your keyword in your title tag anymore because, you know, Google 
pattern matches, you know, or links don't matter anymore. Or, you know, if you've got a slow site, you know, you're immediately going to lose ground on the Core Web Vital update. There's so many different things that I could constitute as a myth. I mean, one that was thrown around for many, many years was that uh, where you hosted your website had an impact on your rankings. And, you know, logistically, that makes no sense. Like if you were in the UK and you had a .co.uk domain and you had American hosting, why on earth are you going to be penalized for having hosting outside the UK? You know, if your hosting is fast, that's a lot more important than where it's hosted. But for a long time, I'd see it when clients came to me with an SEO report from another agency or client. And on there, it would say your IP comes back as an American host. You need to change it. You need a geographically relevant IP to your target location. That, that to me is, you know, is, is a myth. I think it's really interesting you, you mentioned there about, and just to expand on the point uh, to, to make it clear from the way I explain it, um, as well, because I agree with you, is about these ranking factors. If you know, if we think of them, say, as levers, that if I pull one certain lever, what's actually happening is it, it's moving three or four other levers as well. So it's not just like you say, oh, we need to focus on this one factor. And they're they're different. The starting positions, if you like, of those levers are differently configured, dependent on the type of site you're working on. So the the most obvious example to me is, for instance, if we look at news websites. So it's incredibly obvious as a user that news should be new. (laughs) And you will see that when you work on news websites that Google ranks stuff almost chronologically because it knows that's important. Whereas if you have a website, for instance, that was archiving scientific papers, it does not make sense that the um, how new or how fresh that content is plays a big part in how well it ranks because that's not relevant to the user. So this, that, and that's just one obvious example of, again, cause that's something I used to see very regularly, which is, you know, um, content needs to be fresh. And obviously if you take that out of context, it's when you get people just pumping out blog posts with no real purpose, just cause they think they need new stuff on their site. And, you know, that's different from a strategy maybe that has value, which you say, okay, well, if we go back and maybe update something we've done so it is better, that that's going to help. You know that that makes that makes a lot of sense to me. So it's really interesting you, you you've said that and you've you've touched on as well some uh, some specific things there where you know you said um, like the no links thing I think is always really interesting because that's a common one I see on LinkedIn, which is like I just did this with content and um, you know you you don't need to worry about links, but then. If you actually go and do an analysis on those sites, normally you'll find anyway, they've got 10, 20, 50, 100,000 links already. So it, again, it, it's that part of the puzzle. It's like if you had no links, and as you said, you repeated exactly the same thing, right? You're not going to get the same result. So yeah, those conclusions I think are really interesting. And I think this is, you know, just everything to a hammer looks like a nail kind of thing. You know, if if you're selling links, then links are the most important things. If you're selling content, you're going to tell people, you know, that's, that's That's, the most important thing. That's it. That's exactly it. I I think the thing is, is that the one thing uh, that really changed the way that I perceived SEO was the fact that I would never make an assumption that one factor was more important than another because, because, 
honestly, the rabbit hole gets so, so deep when you then start talking about some of the experiments that I've witnessed where you'll get um, someone deploy two sites, exactly the same thing, you know, very similar content. One site will rank well, one site just won't. So when you factor in things like domain level factors, you know, you could take a site, right, that's on a new domain that doesn't have any history and you could push that with just content, not worry about links, do, you know, really good things with really well-written content, apply all the common things to content like, you know, passage indexing, proper internal linking, using structured data. If you've got another site that replicated that, but that site has got history and perhaps, you know, maybe 10 years ago it was a repurposed domain or maybe it spent 10 years accruing links that are, you know, fundamentally different to the theme of what the site now is. All of these things interconnect. And and what people tend to do is they carry forward an opinion of whether something is important or not without taking into consideration so many other factors. And that's where a lot of SEO myths, you, you can break them down or shoot them down. You know, someone says to me, and you've seen it on LinkedIn, I, in the last week, and obviously I'm not going to mention any names, but in the last week, I have seen a couple of posts dem- saying clearly, you do not need links. You you know, here are examples of sites we've ranked with no links, right? But that's dangerous because they haven't qualified the niche or they haven't said, well, you know what? This niche actually is research driven. Therefore, the need for links is going to be less than perhaps an e-commerce niche. So these things, you know, are so, not just myths in some instances, but just, you know, factually incorrect. And this is why if people are scrolling through LinkedIn and, you know, they see a post and, you know, maybe this is like an SEO that's in an agency or even internal SEO in a business, right? They're going through LinkedIn. They see this post. Okay. You know, James Bond has said, oh, you know, links aren't important. Here's how we ranked with no links. Okay. That person might think, well, you know, for the last six months we've been building links. We haven't got anywhere. Maybe this guy's right. But they ignore all the other factors so from you know from a myth perspective that's the other reason why so many myths are allowed to brew and propagate in the SEO industry because people can make decisions without having a full data set so I think this perfectly segues into my question now around testing okay so Jono Alderson from Yoast has been quite vocal in his thoughts that you can't do SEO tests. So in his opinion, as far as I understand it, and if Jono, if you're listening and I've, I've misphrased you or you know um, this isn't quite what you believe, feel free to correct me. But I believe what Jono is saying is because as SEOs, we are seeing such a tiny, insignificant sliver of the web. Essentially, whatever test we do is going to be you know, completely... With, without any way you can draw a conclusion from it because it's just such a speck you know, of sound on, on the entire beach. However, I know as SEOs, we love testing things and we love kind of poking Google and seeing where we can you know, find holes. And you know, I'm, I'm a believer in, <laughs> I think, both of those points of view at once, which is that maybe it's important to test and you, know, you can learn things from that. But at the same time, you can't maybe draw 
conclusions from those tests what's what's your thought how do you balance that act of okay well i've got a i've got a hypothesis um so i'm going to make it a theory by running a test to see if i can support it or not um can individuals do that or is that now the domain of people maybe like systrix who have got bags of data to do that analysis so this is a, a very contentious topic and it's also a very interesting one so if i start the conversation with a question and I say Google's own engineers are broken up. So Google's engineer department is fragmented. So each specific area of the algorithm is dealt with by dealt with by a different team. So Google themselves internally between teams do not know how factors interact. And obviously we've got machine learning, we've got AI and we've got all these other models that, are, that just complicate things even more. So if, Google has all these interconnecting factors applied differently to different sites, different keywords. It makes sense that trying to run a control test theoretically should be near on impossible, right? And if you then factor in, you don't have enough time to collect enough data about each micro factor that they could potentially be weighing at, because by the time you start collecting the data, Google's either done a minor index refresh, or it's done a core or broad core update. And at that point, your data gets all completely muddied because Google will change something. And all of a sudden, the data you've collected is probably not good anymore. However, however, if we were to also on the other end of the spectrum say, well, you know what, there's too many variables, we can't test. Well, I think that would be downright irresponsible. And I say that because you can run tests and if you do them correctly and you have a, a pragmatic approach to it, you can get data that can influence decisions. So you could, for example, test between one core update and another core update. You could identify the cause of, say, cannibalization, test the change and monitor whether that resolves the situation. Now, if we do a control test, what that generally means is if I've got a website with 100 pages on it and I've got a page that I want to rank for a specific query, rather than doing what conventional SEOs would do and saying, well, you know what, let's change the title tag, let's change the meta tag, let's change the header tag, let's jam in 5,000 words of new content, let's build links. They've got all these things going on. It's impossible for them to know what is and isn't working. So what you do is you take your 100 pages, you'd pick out 10 or 20 pages, and then you would apply one thing to each any one page and you use a benchmark tool like SEO testing, okay? And you would try to collect evidence on something that might work. And you, you know, fair enough, you're not always gonna get it right. And you'll probably start a couple of experiments and the next week Google do a core update and you'll either win or lose. So applying a testing model is something that we should do anyway. Like good SEOs will need to test. Otherwise, what else have we got? You know, do we read a guide that offers us vague information about the value of a header tag or the value of a link? We can't go by that. SEOs have to test. If they don't test, then they're just going to apply their own model to something. And fair enough, some might get it right. Some might get it lucky and some might get it wrong. But personally, some of the best results I've seen from all the successful campaigns that I've worked on have always had good testing regimes. I think that's a really nice note to end on. I almost wish you'd ended on um, some get it right, some get lucky, some get it wrong. <laughs> um, 
Daniel, this we've we've already exceeded half an hour, and I've we felt like we barely scratched the surface. Oh, yeah, um, it's a shame. It. I really thank you for your thoughts and opinions on this. You can find Daniel if you if you're on LinkedIn, just search for Daniel Foley Carter. I will put a link to Daniel and to Assertive in our um, show notes, which you can find at search.withcanda.co.uk. That's all for this episode. I will be back in one week's time, which will be Monday, the 22nd of March. And as usual, if you are enjoying the podcast, please share it with a friend, subscribe, do all those lovely things. And I hope you have a brilliant week. <laughs>